Hey, Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 4. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Hey, so today's show is sponsored by MelScience.com. That's M-E-L science.com and Mel Science is breaking the stereotype that science is boring, difficult, and only for certain types of people. They strive to make serious science accessible, interesting, and cool. Science is about exploration, experiments, discovery, and asking questions, all of which comes naturally to all children. And as an elementary educator, I could totally testify that this is true. Kids love to do projects like this. Mel Science believes that every child is a scientist. They help nurture children's natural interest in science by giving them fun, hands-on experiments to engage, serious, detailed explanations to learn, VR and AR technologies to dive deeper. And when you go to MelScience.com, listeners, um, they have like just the coolest kits. There's STEM lessons, there's chemistry, there's physics. There's um, subscriptions and there's this really cool like um, medical one where you can like, you know, pretend you're a dentist, you can check people's teeth, you can pretend to sew stitches, you can um, do all sorts of really cool stuff. Like there's like a pharmacy thing where you're making like chemicals. There's like blood analysis um, for STEM things. There's like making a space rocket. There's a hydraulic lift, an electronic boat. There's earthquakes, an infinity portal, a gyroscope. Um, there's all sorts of liquid sand, a pneumatic press. There's like microscope activities. It's just really fun science for kids. So that's Mel Science. M-E-L-Science.com. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Tuesday, February 8, 2022, and I have two amazing guests on their line. I just love everything they're doing. They're here in Montana where I am, but like on kind of the southern part of the state compared to um, by the Canadian border. Um, and so here from, and I love their name because like one of my main websites is awesomemontana.com. Um, and you guys are awesome acres. So welcome to the show, Katie and Larry Netsky. Woo! Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And I didn't ask you, but like, so I'm working on this book called Rockstar Millennial. Are you guys by any chance born between 1980 and 1995? We are. Yeah. Awesome. You kind of looked like <laughs> when I uh, met you in the pre-chat, I thought, oh, I'll bet those guys are rock star millennials. I don't know. I'm working <laughs> my I don't know if we're rock star millennials, but <laughs> oh, I know you are. We're trying. Seen, that's why I asked you to come on the show because <laughs> such amazing work. And I just love that you're growing herbs and teas and, and things like that. So go ahead and tell listeners like a little bit about yourselves and, and where your, your place is and what you guys all have growing there. Um, did you want to start? No. No. <laughs> um, so uh, I, um, yeah, I grew up in New Hampshire uh, originally and um, kind of made my way over to Montana through, uh, I was kind of a seasonal worker being a ski bum and doing river, river guiding in the summertime and made my way to Montana. Um, and uh kind of fell into 
gardening and sustainable, well, sustainable gardening and organic gardening um, through the University of Montana, uh, through going to school there. And um, yeah, that I think my time there at the university really like, sparked my interest in, in, uh, in, in kind of small scale farming and that whole kind of kind of area. Um, and, and yeah, like, uh, I think, um, so were you like taking like a <laughs> agriculture major or did you work for like the peas? I love U of M. I went to U of M too. And that's how I, yeah, it's just the best school. Yeah. You know, uh, I think growing up, thinking about agriculture I always never thought of myself as ever being a farmer um because it always uh, you know just growing up I never I was never exposed to like small-scale ag or sustainable ag or anything like that it always just seemed like something I'd never want to do um because it was always just I just kind of always pictured like factory farming um and then yeah when I went to university uh I went to school for environmental studies and I did my emphasis in sustainable food and farming and yeah, I got to do the peas program and, uh, you know, Josh Slotnick at the peas farm was a big mentor of mine and kind of introduced me to that whole side of, of agriculture. Like, you know, that there was organic agriculture and smaller scale and, um, you know, just like really integrated into the environment, um, which, you know, I think through like gardening as a kid, I saw that, but as far as like thinking about agriculture, I never thought it almost seemed like a separate thing to me. <laughs> um, uh, just sort of the way, the way our kind of our broken connection is with food. Um, so yeah, that, that, um, that program really uh, kind of paved the way for kind of how we operate on the farm here. Um, for sure. Yep. Yeah. And then, so I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and I've been out here for a little over 10 years now um and my I originally started kind of in food system development so working on like farm to school stuff and more like supply chain stuff instead of actual like <clears throat> agriculture um and so it wasn't until I met Larry that I really kind of imagined us having a farm um but yeah so that's like the that's about us we've got two kids who are seven and five, Oscar and Felix. Um, and we live on the farm with my parents have a house on our farm too. So there's, uh, and my brother also lives here. So we've got a bunch of people, um, a good crew. And yeah, that's, that's about it for us. Yeah. My dad's name is Felix. I love that. How nice. big is your guys' place? We're on 40 acres. <clears throat> And you guys, uh, are you in Stevensville? Is that right? I lived on a farm in Stevensville for a very short time, like a weekend or two weeks or something <laughs> when I was in college. Um, no, we're in, we're in St. Ignatius. Oh, St. Ignatius. So, so north of Missoula. Yes. Awesome. Well, I know that area. I almost taught in Dixon. Nice. Oh, cool. My very first teaching job, I got a job in Dixon to teach first and second grade. And I still wish I would have gone there. And do you know Patty Fialkowicz? Like she lived, she grew up um, down the block from me. In I grew up in New York on Long Island. And oh. She uh, she had a farm in Dixon. Yeah. Um, but she, do you know her? Yeah, we've met her a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, crazy small world. Anyway, mm -hmm. so St. Ignatius, oh, it's so beautiful there. I just love like the mountains and the 
glow and just driving from Missoula to like from here to Missoula. Just absolutely beautiful. Okay, so 40 acres, St. Ignatius, two kids. Um, and what do you guys grow? Tell us about what you're growing. Um, so for the past uh, two years, I guess, we've been uh, like 100% focused on growing culinary herbs and herbal tea. Um, kind of the, the main things that we grow are Tulsi is one of our biggest tea crops that we grow. Uh, I think three varieties right now. Yeah. Um, we grow a lot of chamomile, mint. Nettle. Yeah, stinging nettle is a big one. Um, we're trying to get a bunch of fireweed going, which some people might find crazy. It's nice growing, uh, growing a lot of these herbal teas and um, especially medicinals. It's like you get to grow weeds in your in your garden, <laughs> and the weeds, uh, as long as you don't let them get out of control, they grow pretty well because uh, they're really good at growing. So it's kind of a neat um, transition going from doing we we were doing a lot of vegetable growing into growing some of these more obscure plants. It's been kind of a fun, fun process. So where are you selling them then? Like, where are you guys having success? Like restaurants or like butterfly herbs? I got to go to butterfly herbs this year for the first time in like 10 years and have an espresso milkshake. And it was just so <laughs> Oh, those are so place. good there. <laughs> um, we don't sell wholesale yet, but we will start selling wholesale after this, this season. Um, and so where are you selling? Like at the farmer's market? Yep. We sell at markets. We sell at the winter farmer's market. We do lots of like random pop-ups throughout the state, um, like holiday shows. And then we also sell online on our website. Awesome. So I do always start out the show asking about like your very first garden experience. Like were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with? What do you remember growing? My first experience was uh, at my grandparents' place. My grandfather had this like immaculate herb garden or not herb garden, excuse me, rose garden. Um, and so I would always be weeding in, in their garden. Um, I don't really remember much in the way of vegetables, but uh, a whole lot of roses and weeding roses and getting poked by rose thorns is my first. So was it a good experience? <laughs> it was, I don't know. I mean, I think it was a good experience because I, I just remember being with my grandfather, you know? Yeah. So. Well, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. Like that. My first garden experience was also my grandfather's garden <laughs> um, in New Hampshire. Uh, yeah. He always had a huge um, vegetable garden and always put up lots of food um every year and i i just remember um i like vividly remember walking through the garden um and he would trellis all the peas up on you know on on stakes and so they were they seemed like they were really tall um and you know you kind of get lost in the garden going out there and picking peas in the summertime um yeah that's definitely my first uh memories of gardening those are great memories yeah. <laughs> Tell us about something that's growing well, that grew well this year for you guys down there. Uh, something that grew well. That seeded. Like, so you're on 40 acres, but you're obviously not like growing on the whole fort. Like how big is the farming area? Yeah. Well, the kind of cultivated area we have about, what is it like three quarters of an acre of yeah. an acre? Yeah. Three quarters of an acre is what we have cultivated now. We're looking to double that over the next um, like two seasons. Yeah. 
So we're going to be opening up another field about three quarters of an acre in size uh, this season and putting a cover crop into it. Um, so like, yeah, last year was the first time we've done like that full three quarters of an acre, I think, mm -hmm. in cultivated area. And the rest of the farm is, um, you know, there's, well, there's two, you know, there's two houses on here. Katie's parents live next door to us. Um, and, you know, we have some outbuildings and things like that. And then the, the larger part of the farm is mostly pasture. Um, and so we have a small herd of, of cows out there and we, we lease some of the pasture in the summertime to some neighbor's cows. Um, and then we also, how many years ago was that? Four. Four years ago, we planted. 2000. Yeah, like 2000 trees out there in the field. We did a, we did a hedgerow all the way around the 40 acres, uh, a hedgerow planting. And then on the interior where the pasture is, we broke the, we broke the field up into uh, like pasture lanes. And we did kind of a silva pasture planting so that we can still graze our cows out there in between the rows of trees, but there's rows of trees um, every 120 feet. So we have these big, like 120 foot lanes that we graze the cows down. And then we have um, these 500 what foot long. trees? We went crazy with it. Um, uh, the hedgerow is a lot of native trees like service berries and... Um, I can't think, uh, hawthorns and seaberry. Yeah. Well, yeah. And some non, non-native things too, that, that the stuff around the edges, we kind of tried to pick some native plants that were pretty, uh, hardy. And then also non-native plants that are really hardy and, and deer resistant <clears throat> was the biggest thing. Um, so that we can kind of get a good hedgerow growing around for, uh, to block the wind and provide some habitat. And then on the interior, we planted, um, kind of our, thoughts on the trees in there were something that could have some good forage for livestock like fruit dropping and stuff like that and then also something that we we might be able to harvest in the future as well so we did um a mix of fruit and nut trees there's plums apples elderberries um then ginkgo butternut hazelnut oak um that's probably a few more. Yeah, a lot, a lot of different trees. <laughs> yeah, we, but we, we really lucked out because um, Lawyer's Nursery, which was in Paradise, Montana, we got all of our trees from them. And they're like a big wholesale um, nursery for kind of like they sell to other nurseries or they used to. And we ordered all of our trees and planted them all. And then the next season they went out, of, they, they like closed and they went out of business. Um, so we kind of like just lucked out that we, we're able to get all the trees from them um, at a really good price uh, buying them wholesale like that. And we, we also were able to, uh, all the trees that we did, we got cost share on, we did like an NRCS um, uh, program for, uh, for planting perennial trees. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a really cool project. Are the, is that the place that does like the pick your own blueberries? Did they go out of it? Is that them? You know? No. No, lawyers is um yeah, but all their main thing was just they just grew trees. Okay. Yeah. Uh well, I guess trees and bushes and things like that. But yeah. they they were like the big, they're like a bigger grower that like would grow all the trees that they would then sell to like in bulk to nurseries all around the country. Sure. I think you're thinking of dudes organic farm. Probably. Oh yeah, dudes organic. They have good blueberries, blueberries and, and peaches. And peaches. Well, and, they used to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um 
we always wanted but, to go down there and pick some blueberries. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we've made it down for blueberries yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, peaches though. They're not organic anymore. They're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the the main picture of the farm. It's been uh, yeah, I would get moving onto the farm and trying to think about managing 40 acres is a little daunting at first people don't realize <laughs> right like we have 20 acres and i know when i yeah. talk to, like my mom she is like no like she can't even comprehend like what it takes for my husband to take care of this place and like you know yeah. make sure that it, like we're protected from forest fires and that the trees are healthy and like piling mm -hmm. brush and the you know he's always outside working and just yeah um, you know, it's not like it's just 20 acres that just sits there, even though it's, it's forest. Like when you like yeah. he's done so much care for the land and make sure <clears throat> that it's healthy. Well, and it's, you know, like my, my gardening or, you know, my farming gardening experience has been like pretty intensive, you know, like I, you know, got into it from like the peas farm perspective on like a small intensive or, you know, vegetable farm. And then, and then, uh, you know, then moving to 40 acres, it was like, you can really spread yourself thin if you're trying to be, you know, really intensive and using every like square foot of the whole place. So it was, it was a whole new like mindset of, of thinking about, you know, how to, to manage a piece of land and like how not to burn yourself out by taking on too much and thinking you can do it all. And then you planted 2000 trees. <laughs> I know. Well, that was the beginning. We, we took on too much in the beginning the for sure. <laughs> We thought we could do so much in the beginning and, and we've, uh, through Katie's guidance <laughs> have, uh, whittled it down to just, you know, that's why we're, we're really trying to focus on the herbs. Cause we're just like, man, we just need to focus on one thing, um, and not spread ourselves over 40 acres and a million different projects. Cause it's just hard to get it all done. And especially our short growing season. Yeah. We really dreamed of being like the whole farm CSA and like providing you know, sourdough bread and dairy and meat and vegetables and all that stuff, like all the things we wanted to provide for ourselves. But we quickly realized that we needed to, to focus, maybe not quickly enough, but we, but we realized <laughs> that we needed to focus. And so we've been on but the farm for, have, don't you still have pigs and things besides the cows? We, so we used to raise pigs. So we'd have like over 50 pigs at a time and we'd be breeding them. Um, so we'd have them all year round. Last year, we just raised five pigs from piglets to, to butcher. And um, so, you know, we didn't take them through the winter. We didn't, we're not breeding them, which is just a whole different ballgame. And, and we, when, while we were raising those hogs, like we were rotating them throughout the entire pasture. And it was just like a big, it was a big part of our day. Yeah, a moving fence. And it was like, at one point we had goats and we had all the pigs and we had our cows and chickens and chickens and we were doing rotational grazing with all the different groups of animals some of them were mixed and it was just uh but you know by the time we dealt with all the animal fences and moving fences and fixing you know pig fences and getting them back in and <laughs> doing all that then we go over to like the you know the vegetable field where we were uh doing a csa at the time then we'd have to like pack the csa and get that all ready um and it was just, uh, it was a little crazy. Yeah, it was a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> was it profitable besides, or like, did you find like you were doing all that work and like barely breaking even? Yeah, barely breaking even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we realized a lot we... of work and a lot, totally. of, a lot <clears throat> of different animals to take care of and different, like, you know, things too. 
Totally. Yeah, so, we realized we just need to do some one thing really well and then support our friends who are doing the other things really well and buy from them. So that's what we do now. <laughs> <laughs> and trade. And trade, yeah. So what, how come you settled on herbs? And like, what herbs are growing well? The best herbs, uh, stinging nettle. <laughs> like I said, I, <clears throat> I love all the things that we grow that are weeds. Um, stinging nettle, it's a perennial, it's super tenacious. Um, we have to do a little bit of weeding in there, um, but it pretty much does all the work itself. You know, uh, there's always the problem of harvesting stinging nettle, which is a little tricky. But um, besides that, it, it, it grows very, very well. How do you we get tell the, like, I don't know, like, why do they call it? Does it have, is it thorny like the roses? <laughs> like, what makes it stinging nettle? <clears throat> has i think it has like a like it looks like it has little spikes but it's just, that's just like little cilia like little hair but it has like an oil on it that is it just it it's awful if you get it on your skin yeah i can't remember what it's like, like a type of acid i think oh um, yeah <clears throat> that gets on your skin yeah i i can't remember the all so the don't eat raw don't eat raw stinging nettle but yeah. <laughs> you can have dried stinging nettle or cooked stinging nettle and it'll be very good for you yeah so yeah you i mean wear, as long like, as gloves and stuff when you're harvesting it yeah we just you know like a long sleeve you know a thicker long sleeve shirt with uh leather gloves and then we just use like a hand scythe and um and we harvest it all into big tarps and then take it into our drying shed and dry it and then from there we run it through screens and so that you know it looks like you know like a loose leaf tea at the end end product and then we also we sell a little bit of fresh uh spring nettle early in the season um when it's sort of it's more of like in a, like a um i don't know if the word's vegetative state but it's like when it's really small like you can eat the stems and all on the plant um like and it's really or something yeah exactly well, you still cook it <clears throat> yeah you still need to cook it so it's like a oh you know more like a kale i guess it's a little bit hardier than that yeah um and it's it's really tasty. I love I, I look forward to the the spring nettle every year, um, and then the the dried material we use that in soups and in cooking, and and then we also use it in our tea blends. Um, it's it's a it's a pretty versatile plant. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of ended up settling on herbs or getting to herbs because like we've always grown Tulsi for ourselves for tea. Um, and right at the beginning of 2020, we started purchasing um, a bunch of stuff to start a pizza farm. So we were thinking we'd be like growing all of the things and making the dough and hosting like Friday night pizza nights on the farm. So that's that was what was going to happen. And then uh, the pandemic hit. And so we're just like, OK, we're not going to be hosting dozens of people on the farm every week. And there was a bunch of COVID grant money out there. And we ended up writing a couple of grants to get our greenhouse and to get a drying shed built. And so it just kind of like oddly transitioned from pizza to dried herbs. Yeah. And it was, and it kind of worked out beautifully because I think both of us were like looking through the logistics of like what it was going to be like to have uh, large groups of people come onto the farm like every Friday and hosting a pizza night and just like all the everything that would that would be involved in um, and it, it sort of goes along the lines of us trying to take on too much yeah and the herbs just um, yeah I think we're really happy with um, kind of where that's leading us right now yeah well they're just they're, it's a shelf stable 
like very easily shippable product. So it was perfect for, you know, two years in a pandemic, we could be shipping it across the country if needed. Did you go to business school, Katie? You just seem to have like so much business sense, which is like something I struggle with so much. I did not go to business school. <laughs> Katie is, the, is, is definitely the business mind behind the, the operation. Um, I think without her, uh, I don't think we would have made it this far. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have a farm without you, though. <laughs> yeah, it's a good combination of of skills um i definitely don't have the business mind at all and katie i don't think would want to be out in the field doing much of the the field work correct uh so what's something you're excited to do this summer coming up something new maybe or different yeah i'm very excited about um our passive solar drying shed that we just built um we've like i don't even know like quadrupled or maybe more like the amount of space that we have to dry yeah. herbs. And then um, the efficiency of the space um, is going to be a lot more. We'll be able to maintain a higher temperature for longer. Um, and so that was like a big bottleneck. Cause like the way we, I mean, I kind of said it with like, with how we process the nettle, but we go out into the field and, you know, say it's Tulsi, we go out there and we harvest off the top of the Tulsi plants. We bring that, um, that plant material into the drying shed, load up all these screens on shelves in our drying shed. And then it'll dry in there for a day or two, depending on how hot it is outside or how much sun is shining. Um, and then, and then we pull that product out, run it through screens and then put it in bulk bags for our, um, you know, for our tea blends. And it depends on the sun because we don't artificially like heat the drying shed. We use passive solar. I like that. And then, you know, a drying shed is really important. Who did I talk to? Was it the CBD guy from Vermont who was talking about like farmers mm. being like, oh, we're growing all these, you know, hemp plants, but they didn't have like a place to dry them. And so they ended yeah. up like losing a lot of their crops. And so like, that's an important thing that people don't think about. So especially uh, in a climate in a climate like Vermont, um, where you, the humidity so is so much higher and we really are lucky in sure, how our, is really dry. Yeah. It, it, you know, and, and we get pretty good sun, you know, during the growing season when we need to be drying it and, and yeah, the relative humidity is, is like perfect for drying. Um, and so it's, it's not too difficult for us to, to be able to just, just do it on with passive solar. I think if we were in Vermont, we'd probably need more, oh, yeah. um, supplemental heating, uh, to get through, especially like the shoulder seasons when you have a lot more rain. I'm also yeah. picturing like Florette, like, do you know, Aaron Benzinkian who runs Florette farm out in um, Washington? She's like one yeah. of the biggest flower farmers. And yeah. I feel like they also have a big drying space because they're, they've switched to selling seeds and now they're, you know, mm -hmm. focusing on selling flower seeds. Yeah. And oh, I that's think cool. they also have like a similar situation where they have to be careful about drying the seeds and, and I'm picturing them bringing them in on tarps too. Yeah. Which yeah. Is like something I also like really, um, I grew a bunch of sunflowers last year, like the edible kind that I thought I was going to be able to harvest and eat myself. And mm -hmm. I just thought naturally putting them in a box, they were going to dry and they totally molded on me. And so I yeah. had a big lesson about they need to be hung up and dry carefully and then and then with those it's like you find a good spot to hang them up and then you have to make sure there's no critters getting in there 
um because yeah. you know they're pretty enticing to a lot of creatures and that was a big thing with our drying shed it was like being able to build like a brand new shed and make sure it's all like rodent proof was really key because we've yeah. you know it, it's a it's such a it's such Here, a, a big thing something that's super open but it, it's not then huh no no the drying shed itself is completely closed building we have we have like they're called solar collectors so it's like a little mini greenhouse that's on the south south side and the east and west side of the building and that has vents in it so fresh air comes into this mini greenhouse and gets superheated and then that heat rises and then there's vents up top that get pushed into the building itself and the building has no windows or anything it's totally dark in there um because if you get too much sunlight on your plants you can start to degrade the the plants um and so you know it's nice because it keeps you know you can have like a pretty airtight not airtight so but rodent proof like, box is it wood with like sheetrock or is it concrete or like what's it built out of yeah we ended up doing a concrete slab and for a big a big reason was because we wanted to make sure that rodents weren't coming in from underneath or anything and so yeah we did a concrete slab and it's um it's a you know wood framed building it's it's pretty unconventionally built because we used mostly all reclaimed materials um and so we yeah it's like two by two by four framing in some places and um yeah that's it has many different materials on it yeah but yeah that's we awesome. have and i love that you guys got help doing that like we have talked about like having farm dinners here and stuff and like to me the biggest thing we need first off is like a bathroom or even if we have people come <laughs> like I want to sign up for like the woofer thing for people to like come help my husband in the summer and yeah. but still it all comes down to like I just feel like we would have to have like a, a bathroom for people to use yeah yeah we use the like, woofing did you think about that when you were going to do the pizza things Mm-hmm. oh yeah I'm thinking they were going to use your bathroom in your house oh heck no <laughs> no yeah I mean that was part of all the logistics of thinking about it I think yeah. what we were going to do is rent porta no I think we were going to either build outhouses or yeah we talked about renting porta potties for the weekends yeah just for in the beginning I think to kind of figure it out yeah but then we talked about yeah doing outbuildings but yeah there, there's so much logistics to it all um but yeah, I was going to say um, the woofing program is is our main um, main source of of help on the farm. And oh, uh, really, tell us about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's worked out really great for us, um, especially you know with the woofing program. It's like trying <clears throat> trying to start a farm business and then think about like you know trying to like turn a profit from that farm business that you're just starting and then to think about trying to hire somebody and be able to pay them like a good wage is just like this anomaly that I don't know how anybody can do it from the beginning um so the whipping program has been great because we did have to put some work into the infrastructure so we have like an outdoor kitchen and we have some campers out there and we have an outdoor composting toilet and they have like their own little space and so we had to like you know we had to invest in that to make a good space for folks to come so that they have you know they have this this um you know whole area to themselves and then we have woofers come throughout the whole summer um people usually stay i don't know it's usually like a month yeah usually a month at a time and um and it's just been a huge help because you know for the through the woofing program you know we provide them with room and board um 
and and then they do what do we do for a day but where are they sleeping then so we have a bunch of camper well we have two campers and then we have like a nice canvas tent that has a couple twin beds in it you see that's what like because that's what we put up like when i like advertise because i did the same thing i advertised the summer the march of the pandemic and um and then people still wanted to come like they were not yeah. really, and i felt really bad there was like this one grad student who he was like well my grad program got canceled i'd love to come but i put up that they would have to you know camp in their tents and everything and i'm to be honest with you i'm so relieved because we ended up having a grizzly bear go through our chicken pen and like the oh, thought of somebody being camping on my property <laughs> with like a bear is like coming through but but we have thought about like buying campers or like i thought mm -hmm. about getting like um not a tent but uh what's it called like um like a wall tent oh you're yeah a yurt, but oh a wall tent would be and then, mm -hmm. like, I love the idea of an out. I've thought about getting me an outdoor kitchen just to um, <laughs> for cooking. I know I'm kind of jealous time. of ours. <laughs> um, and then, and then I hadn't thought about like getting a combo because actually, my husband and I we use our outhouse. Like, we do have a bathroom and a shower and everything, but I don't know. I just feel like once you have an outhouse, it's hard to go back. Yeah. Anyway, but um, <laughs> I'm so I glad think... to hear all this that you guys like that that that's how it worked for you and that you have positive experiences of woofers coming yeah and I think it's like important to say too that you know like we try really hard like there can be this reputation with woofing that it's just like exploitative on the part of the farmers and so we really make sure that like we do the minimum like everyone just works 20 hours a week um it's not full-time and we'll provide all room and board and we just make sure that it's like a very good experience for people and then we also we say specifically on the woof website that we that we are anti-racist and queer friendly and require that everyone who comes to the farm also be the same. And so we have hosted a lot of queer folks over the years um, because of that, because unfortunately there's not that many farms in the country that say they are queer friendly. And that's been like a really awesome experience as well. Um, and we end up having a lot of the same people come back year after year or like recommending people to come to the place. And that's been really awesome. See why I say you guys are rock star millennials because that's the kind of thing a rock star millennial would say. I love that. <laughs> okay, so if this is the part of the show we call getting to the root of things, like is there a least favorite activity that you have to kind of force yourself to get out there and do in the garden? Um, I guess, and it's funny because I I chose nettle as the uh, <laughs> as the uh, the yeah the one that grows the best. Um, but I would say one of my least favorite things is we get, um, we have perennial bindweed in our field pretty bad, which is an awful perennial weed. Yeah, and I have that it, problem too. Yeah, it's awful. And when you grow plenty perennial crops, the perennial bindweed becomes even more of a problem because it can establish itself like in your perennial bed, even though you're like, you know, keeping good mulch down and doing all the stuff that ours just was an orchard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ours is, it's all over. And then, so with the nettle, the nettle grows like, it's pretty like tall statured once it gets going. And usually by our third harvest of the season, the, the, um, the perennial bindweed has started to wind up the nettle stems. And so you have to like go in there with gloves and long sleeves and watch your face from getting whacked by a, by a nettle branch and try and like pull out the, the perennial bindweed that's climbing up the nettle. And that's, that's not the funnest, the funnest project. Usually you almost every time you end up getting whacked in the face by a, by a nettle plant, um, as you're trying to untangle the, the bindweed. Mm 
<laughs> My least favorite activity to do on the farm is anything that's in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is why I do the books. <laughs> I totally get that. Mike and I are both big shade seekers. Do you have a good hat? I have a good hat. Yeah. But and I, I generally yeah. just only go out in the early morning or the late afternoon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A big hat, a nice big straw hat is pretty key. Mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, so on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do? Um, I would say harvesting Tulsi is pretty, uh, pretty, um, pretty up there on the list. Um, it's just, I don't know if, if you've ever grown it, it's, um, it's in the basil family uh, and it has this just like amazing, um, fragrance to it. And so when you're, when you're out there harvesting, especially like we grow a bunch of Tulsi in the greenhouse, when you harvest it in the greenhouse, it's just like it just smells amazing the whole time you're harvesting and it's just like a fun, um, fun process. I would, I I would say really just like the whole, the whole process of like harvesting the plant material and drying it and then having this like shelf stable product is like really satisfying as a farmer. And, you know, and, 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 and in our climate with such a short growing season, it's like being able to like have this like shelf stable thing that we're growing throughout the season is just such a neat concept. Um, after having, having a lot of experience with vegetables that, you know, they spoil quite fast and you're trying to like harvest everything and, and get it sold as quick as you can. So you, you know, don't lose anything. Golden seeds, Larry, you're dropping golden seeds. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, what's your favorite activity? Uh, in the garden, it would probably be eating raspberries. How about when you're doing the book? Not harvesting them. Or like them. Just, just harvesting and eating raspberries. What was that? How about like when you're inside doing the books or marketing or like, do you have any marketing tips for us? Um, I don't know. I think we need marketing tips. <laughs> yeah. Um, But we have been, yeah, we like most of our marketing is just through Instagram. Um. And I quit Instagram last year. So it's just been Larry doing it, but I really should probably take it back up again also. Um, but I, I mean, I, it's, I love anything with spreadsheets. I just love, love spreadsheets. That is so true. Katie, <laughs> you say the word spreadsheet and her eyes light up. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So we fit our, our, um, our roles very well on the farm. <laughs> That's amazing. You can probably have like a huge business because there are not many people out there that will say they love spreadsheets. No, it's a uh, uh, big fan. Yeah, it's great because stuff on the farm that I because my mind is totally just a mess. Um, and so organizing things out there in the field or like planting uh, schedules and things like that, I'll just like explain to Katie what it is I'm trying to do and she'd be like okay I'll put that in a spreadsheet and it's amazing <laughs> so what is your like do you use like google google sheets or excel yep. or yeah um, I use google sheets google sheets how about the best gardening advice you've ever received best gardening advice I've ever received um maybe the best gardening advice I ever received was to like to write to write everything down <laughs> and keep a good journal um, which I don't do very well, <laughs> but when I do it, um, I'm always, uh, 
when you know the things that I do write down from the year before I'm always I'm trying every year to do a better job of doing a more comprehensive just like journal of the season um, but then when I do whatever I do have which isn't that comprehensive at this point but it's so helpful to be able to look back at it and see dates and see what was happening like you know just some of those little details that you kind of forget and also just like corresponding it to like dates of like <clears throat> when things um you know when things were planted that season or when things came up or when the first harvest was just like all those things to be able to look back at and 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 make a better plan for the next season um i think yeah it's it's good advice that i haven't heated as well as I should. <laughs> I'm completely nodding. You are not the first person to say any of that. Like that is their favorite tool and that it's hard to keep up with. And like, I'm guilty of it too. And especially now that we have cameras that like you can take a zillion pictures. I'm always like, oh, I'll just take a picture and I'll remember to write it down. Or this winter I'm going to go through and like, and I never do, but I do, I do a good job of like making a journal at the beginning of the year and like putting down where we plan everything and where it is and making a pretty good diagram. But then after that, I'm lost. And then I always tell listeners, like, you think you're going to remember, like, don't plant the blueberries here far away from the yeah. water, whatever, and you never do. No. Yeah. You give yourself a mental note on that day in July and you're like, oh, I'll remember that. And then, yeah, I'm never going to remember this. it. Until you and like, even a week again. later, you're like, what was that? yeah we find ourselves referencing our like old instagram posts a lot be like <laughs> like what day did ollie calve like what day did you know we harvest this batch of tulsi and we'll just find it on instagram <laughs> yeah it's kind of terrible but that definitely happens a lot <laughs> is there a way to search instagram though or do you have to just go through all your posts oh gosh yeah you have to scroll all the way through you, if you use hashtags you could search that mm. way but we don't <clears throat> not at least in a logistical way yeah yeah i definitely find myself even just your... looking through photos what's that what what's your best advice katie um i i mean for me the times when i have the hardest trouble or i like get the most frustrated is because i went like five months without doing the books you know so i always tell myself every year i'm going to do it every single month so that it doesn't build up. And at the end of the year, I'm not like pulling my hair out. Um, and so I think that's like the, the best is like, use those spreadsheets <laughs> and do everything every, every month. That's kind of what it is for me. Now you don't print them out and fill them in, do you? Um, not usually, but there are some like for the farm like that Larry uses in the garden that we print out that he can then write on. Yeah, we've, we we have, um, uh, you did those ones that you laminated. Yeah. That are really nice. It's like a, it's a spreadsheet, but it's just, it's just um, the rows in the field. And then I can just with a dry erase marker um, or a wet erase marker, write in all the things that I'm, that I'm going to plant. It always changes what is what I found. Uh, and then, then it's all just scribbles. And then from that sheet, then we can put it into the, into the computer yeah and it's, it's easy to to change uh, on the fly i think that's my answer to the next question my favorite uh my favorite cool. tool is the laminator <laughs> oh yeah the laminator <laughs> laminator and spreadsheets yeah <laughs> what about you larry what's your favorite tool favorite tool um 
I would say I really, I think the hand scythe would be one of my favorite tools. Just, it's just really satisfying going through and harvesting a bunch of herbs with a hand scythe and, um, but certainly the tool you use the most is probably your knife. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would say that's probably the most useful tool around the farm, um, for certain. What kind of yeah. knife? Just like an ordinary pocket knife or like a hori hori or like. I do have a hori hori that I use. Um, no, just my ordinary pocket knife. Um, just always comes in handy on the farm for doing, you know, because gardening is is like, uh, I don't know, like fifteen percent like working with plants, and then the rest of it is like fixing stuff, um, or yep. farming. farming. Yeah, farming. Um, so the knife always comes in handy for the fixing part of things. <laughs> I'm nodding again. Yeah. How about a favorite <laughs> recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden? My favorite recipe is we grow a bunch of honeyberries. And I love making um, honeyberry scones. I would say my favorite is probably um, like a frittata with lots of um, yeah. greens and greens and onions and mushrooms and things from the farm. But my favorite, my favorite thing that we get from the farm is is plums so we do we do dried plums and we have dried plums every morning for the whole year and it's the greatest thing ever oh i wish i would have known that last summer because we like <laughs> i ended up i was gonna make this plum salsa and we had so many plums and i just they got away from me mm -hmm. um so do you grow mushrooms i was kind of wondering about that when we were talking about your drying room do you guys grow mushrooms we we dabble a bit um so we we did a bunch of mushroom logs um, two, years, two ago. years ago now. Uh, we did uh, blue oyster mushrooms and shiitakes. And we've had, we've had a good bit of luck with the blue oysters and the shiitakes haven't fruited yet. Um, and then we get uh, shaggy parasols grow on the farm quite a bit in, in a few spots. And then um, we kind of get gifted some, some mushrooms here and there from Katie's brother and neighbors. Yeah. Cool. How about yeah. a favorite internet resource? Where do you guys find yourselves surfing on the web? YouTube and Craigslist. Instagram. <laughs> we're, we learn Craigslist. how to do everything. For, we learn how to do everything from YouTube, and we base our building projects off of what we can get from Craigslist. <laughs> well, Craigslist and and home home, re home resource and um, and wasteless works. Yeah um we get a lot of materials from them but larry has learned how to like do electric work do plumbing work do like every kind of thing just through watching youtube it's good yeah i mean it's kind of an amazing resource um just because you can read something in a book and it's kind of hard to like picture it and it's just so neat that you can just basically google anything and there's somebody who's like made a YouTube video of of like physically doing it, and you can see and be like, oh, because like if I can see someone do it, I I'm, I'm really visual. I'm like, oh, I get it. But if I like just look at the instructions in a book, I'm like, um, I can't picture it. So, yeah. Especially anything like mechanical like that, I'm totally nodding my head. Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you know, with like tractor stuff and like different tractor implements and like building projects and uh, you know, there's just like so many neat. Uh, you know, just, just I, mean, I don't know who all these people are that 
to post all these videos on YouTube and have the time to, but I'm thankful that they do because it's it's really helpful. And it like it changes all the time. So like if you can't find something, wait six months. I mean, if you can, but that's yeah, my experience crazy. anyway. Like a lot of things that like I was looking for a couple of years ago, like now it's there for sure. How mm -hmm. what's waste less works? It is, it's kind of like home resource, but it's like more based. And what is home resource like Habitat for Humanity? The resource yeah, resource, yeah, they're both like building it? materials, like reuse places. So both of them have like deconstruction crews that go out and deconstruct buildings and then can sell the materials. Um, and and is that also... online or is that in Missoula? It's in Missoula. Yeah. 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 And home resource is more like geared towards like people donating, right? Well, yeah, but I'm just saying as far as like going there and buying things, like it's more geared towards like a homeowner or like not homeowner, but like um, like residential sort of work that you'd be like working on your own house. And I think Wasteless is more like toward geared toward like builders or someone who's like commercial. building like a whole shed or like, you know, you, you can get, yeah, you can just get like more quantity of material there. But at Home Resource, you can get I mean, gosh, like almost anything. I mean, there's like just shelves of nuts and bolts and screws. And, you know, there's some, uh, you know, small uh, hand tools and things. Yeah. I mean, there's everything you can think of. You know, it's like walking into someone's garage sale, but it's an entire store and then outside too. And, yeah. and well-organized. And well-organized. Yeah, it's not like craziness. Mm -hmm. um, but they're, if you're a pack rat like I am, it's, it's kind of fun to walk around and look at stuff. <laughs> How about a favorite book or reading material that you guys can recommend? I'd say for like what we're doing um, with the herbs. Um, the Medicinal Herb Gardener. Yeah, the Medicinal Herb Gardener. Gardener by. Uh, it's from the Zach Woods Herb Farm in Vermont. The, the, the husband and wife duo who started that farm wrote the book. Yeah, it's. It's pretty I don't know that. I'll have to check that into it. Check into that. Yeah, it's it's pretty comprehensive. It's you know, it's like they wrote the book on small scale yeah. herb farming. Um, yeah, it's like what we look to to figure out like how to do our drying shed and and all that. Okay, I definitely need that book. That's uh, very cool. <clears throat> is that yours too, Katie? Um, mine is. I love Ben Hewitt's blog. Ben Hewitt is an author out of Vermont, um, like a homesteader. And uh, he has done a lot of food system writing, but his blog is just kind of like about, you know, him and his family on their land and kind of what that entails. And it's, I, I love reading it. Awesome. You guys are full of golden seeds. All right, here's my <laughs> final question. If there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? I think we all just need to think about what we're doing <laughs> a lot more. You know, like every time that we need to go drive somewhere, like I, it's like constantly in my head of like, like how can I make this the most efficient trip? You know, how can I reduce the amount of times I need to leave and go drive places? And like, how can I like, you know, when I'm grocery shopping, how can I shop in a way that makes us have less waste and all those things. It's just like, 
those are the things I think about all the time. I don't know that there's like a charity or an organization necessarily. I mean, I would say look into places like Home Resource and Wasteless. Like there's so many things you don't need to buy new um, that are just already out there. Um, and then, you know, Larry did his sustainability degree, so he might have something more thoughtful to say. Um, yeah, it's a really loaded question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's so much, uh, to, I guess, to unpack there. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the whole looming climate change, um, uh, problem is, is pretty huge. And like Katie was saying, like doing all these like little things, I think it helps like get everybody thinking about it. But I think as far as like actually making change, like we just need to like change all these huge infrastructures that we have that like, even if you do like all electric car and all these electric things, all of our electricity comes from coal burning electric plants and um you know the oil industry is huge and they're still putting in pipelines and there's still like infrastructure going in for these things so it's like on on the large scale of things it seems like we have to like you know radically change all that stuff and start moving towards more uh renewable energies you know it's just it's mind-boggling to me that we're even putting in new gas lines or anything like that that that's going to put more emissions up into the air that we're like still making that infrastructure when we're talking about that it needs to like change now um yeah it's it's uh it's just like a just such a such a large um industry and and so much of that um you know comes from from electricity uh generation <clears throat> you guys thank you so much for sharing with us today you are just exactly the kind of people I love to interview and talk to and make me feel better about just giving me hope that there are and this is why I love millennials because I just feel like you guys are spot on so is there uh anything else you want to share today that you didn't get a chance to share or do you just want to tell people how to connect with you and find your place and buy your herbs or teas and things to help support you guys yeah, you can find us on Instagram. It's awesome underscore acres underscore MT for Montana. And our website is awesomeacres.square.site. Um, we've got Facebook, but we're not really active on it. Um, so Instagram is really the spot to find us. But please reach out. We'd yeah. love to connect with folks about all this. Thank you guys so much for taking time to talk to me this morning and have a wonderful day. Yeah, thanks yes. for having us. Thank you so much. Happy Valentine's next week. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Valentine's. Bye. Hey, so today's show is sponsored by melscience.com. That's M-E-L science.com. And melscience is breaking the stereotype that science is boring, difficult, and only for certain types of people. They strive to make serious science accessible, interesting, and cool. Science is about exploration, experiments, discovery, and asking questions, all of which comes naturally to all children. And as an elementary educator, I could totally testify that this is true. Kids love to do projects like this. Mel Science believes that every child is a scientist. They help nurture children's natural interest in science by giving them fun, hands-on experiments to engage, serious, detailed explanations to learn, VR and AR technologies to dive deeper. And when you go to melscience.com, listeners... 
Um, they have like just the coolest kits. There's STEM lessons, there's chemistry, there's physics, there's um, subscriptions, and there's this really cool like um, medical one where you can like, you know, pretend you're a dentist, you can check people's teeth, you can pretend to sew stitches, you can um, do all sorts of really cool stuff like there's like a pharmacy thing where you're making like chemicals there's like blood analysis um for stem things there's like making a space rocket there's a hydraulic lift an electronic boat there's earthquakes an infinity portal a gyroscope um there's all sorts of liquid sand a pneumatic press there's like microscope activities it's just really fun science for kids so that's mel science M-E-L-Science.com. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.